Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. You know, I've always been curious. I don't know why, I just know that I am. I'm a writer and a teacher and a storyteller, and my job is to be curious, to ask questions and to share the answers. This program explores my belief that why, that simple three-letter question, is the most powerful question that any human has ever asked. Every time we ask it, we challenge ignorance and the status quo. This, I believe. Curiosity leads to discovery. Discovery leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to insight. And insight leads to understanding. Something that, let's face it, seems to be in short supply these days. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the program. There is definitely a sense of isolation growing up on the farm. And I, I can think of times when I would be out driving a tractor and I could see kids I know from school go driving by in the Jeep, goofing off all day long, hanging out with each other. It was probably the best thing for me because by God, I learned how to work. Hi, Steve Shepard here. If you're a regular listener of the Natural Curiosity Project, you may recognize the voice of Will Gillespie. Will was a guest on the show back in episode 129 when I interviewed him and his family about their efforts as farmers to do so as responsibly as possible and to manage an adjacent wildlife refuge. That was a great episode that showed what can happen when people take a step back and think about their impact and then take steps to minimize that impact. The Gillespies are really great people. Anyway, not too long ago, I circled back and did a one-on-one interview with Will on a Zoom call because he's one of those people who have had nonlinear careers and who really do make a difference. Yeah, he grew up on the family farm, and while he's still involved there in one way or another, his career took him off in a whole slew of directions. I love people like that. The draws of passion and curiosity and interest, frankly, become too important for them to ignore. And as you also know, when I run across somebody like that, somebody whose path through life has been decidedly nonlinear, I interview them because, frankly, they inspire me. And I hope they inspire you. Here's Will. I'm a Midwestern kid. I've stayed in the Midwest, not exactly on the family farm. I'm still very active in farming, and I'm also an employee for the state of Illinois. I work for the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. I'm a coal mine inspector. My job entails going out these coal mines, traveling around them, looking at potential environmental problems, looking at reclamation work that's done. And then when they're not in compliance, I write enforcement for that. Okay, a coal mine inspector. I mean, how often have you met one of those? If you're like me, the answer is precisely never. So I asked Will kind of how he got where he is today. It's more of a timeline thing than than anything. I started with farm work. I grew up on the farm and that was our primary obligation. That was the family's mission. Every moment of the day, it something to do with farming. We were doing something related with farming. Cattle in particular became my focus. I was interested in them, obviously, but really about the time, it has been 1999, I would have been 17, 18. My dad took a job managing the state park. And when he did that, by default, the cattle kind of became my responsibility. You know, I had more time. And 
I'm the one that dealt with the war. And so there was that time period when pretty much everything, I was taking care of cattle. That was it. I was also going to college that time. And then along the way, I got a degree in engineering, which I joke was to rebel against my family, which are all biologists. I showed them. I showed them, right? (laughs) I got a master's in engineering and then ended up, I had a few different jobs along the way, as mentioned in the book, but then finally ended up working for the IDNR and I've been at the IDNR seven years. So I may not retire from here, but it's been a really good gig for me and I'm very thankful for it. Okay, so you grew up on the family farm. You took over the management of the cattle herd when your dad went to work with the state parks. You got a degree in engineering and then a master's in engineering. So where did the focus on coal mines come from? It was a position that came open that had qualifications that I met on in, in most simplistic terms. They needed someone with an engineering background. The job application specifically asked that someone with a mining engineering background, which is pretty much non-existent at an entry level. So I ended up thinking, well, I'll give this a shot, see what happens, which is a little bit odd for me because one of my biggest weaknesses is I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty adverse to risk. I've not been one to really just go out and take a risk and do things. And I, I got to hand it to you, Steve. That's something I admire about you. I mean, I look at your resume and your description. I see all the places you've been and I'm just like, wow, I've been to the Bahamas and San Francisco. <laughs> and I can tell you stories about both. Both were great, great, but uh, yeah. Okay, now, Will, eventually you circle back to cattle ranching, but not the way most people think. You wrote a book, and a great one, I have to say. And in spite of what you say, you can't be that risk averse. I mean, you did, after all, pick a pretty unusual topic. Tell us about Cows I Have Known. It didn't start out really the way that it ended. When I started writing, it was really my vision to record these stories about what happened on the farm. As I went along, I thought about all of these different cows whose personalities that, you know, I missed. These were my friends. I'm going to be blunt about it. A lot of these cows were on the farm from about the time I was you know, 10 or 12, really became active in doing stuff. The time I left from college, that's a duration. And some of them, you would get to where you want to see. Others, you wouldn't give three nickels for. (laughs) I kind of wanted to honor them in a way. And when I started, I really wanted the book just to be about the cows. I got all the stories written down that I could really remember. And there's stories that didn't make this book. And I put it together and I tried to put it into chapters and I pulled together what I call my, uh, my, my test group, basically, or my beta readers. And I had uh, five individuals and I sent them my manuscript. I said, you know, tell me what you think. And I got really good feedback from some of them in particular they came back to me and said, Will, it needs more of you, which I'm going to be honest, I was completely miffed about because I had done so much work to try to get it to where I had a book about cows. And I thought that's what made this book unique was that it was about the cows. And here they're coming back with, well, you know, it really needs to be more about you. And I'm like, I don't want it to be about the people. But I thought about what they said. And I think I understood it to mean 
we need characters we can relate to strongly. And I know that from reading. I like books where you can relate to the character strongly. You need characters that you could see and be like, I see how this person feels. And I think that that's what this book needed at that point. And so that's where I really started bringing in more of what you talked about, where I expanded upon those stories. I put more of myself in it and I put more of what I felt in it. And in that aspect, I did take some risks because to me, some of this stuff is intensely personal. So that's how we got to that point. And again, this took five years and went through six rounds of editing to get there. But yeah, that's, that's how it got to that point. So what did you learn in the process of writing the book? One of the things I learned was you can have a wonderful story about events that happen on the farm, but those events never have a clear con- conclusion. Events in your life almost never have a clear conclusion. It's like, well, this event happened and we went on with life. And that's the same way on the farm. So I had to think about what really happened and then take the long view and realize that when an event, when the story concluded, maybe when it was over then, that wasn't the type of conclusion that you could really learn from. You had to take the long view and see, well, maybe a little bit farther down the line, it did really. And so that was hugely important and something that I honestly struggled with. Because like I said, these events don't have a clear ending usually. You know, most events don't. And so going from where you move on with life and bringing it back, where you can wrap it up in some way. That's one thing I learned is being absolutely paramount is in which chapters were good and which chapters were eh, were the ones that I could wrap it up. One thing that I did, and I literally had a spreadsheet where I had attributes of each chapter in it. And the big thing was, whether it was background, more background or more narrative to it, the other thing was the tone. Was it happy or sad? Because in life, you have no control at all over whether you're going to be in a series of sad events or happy events. And the same thing on the farm. You may have, chronologically, three sad, basically, stories that happen or chapters right in a row, and in a book, you'll lose your reader. So I took great pains to balance it, and I felt like that was important. I wouldn't want to read a book where three chapters in a row were depressing, so I tried to I tried to balance that out here, too. As a writer myself, I know that anytime you write about another living thing that isn't human, you run the risk of anthropomorphizing, meaning assigning human behavior traits to whatever critter you're writing about. One of the things I've heard you say many times in our various conversations over the last couple of years is that cows have personalities. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, cows are like anything else, and especially when you're wrapped up with with these animals, and there's there's so much intensity there. I mean, I don't think I've had my heart pound as hard as when I've been charged by a cow. Let's just be honest about it. I don't think that I've had my adrenaline shooting in my veins as hard as when I've had a near miss of a cow kicking me. That being said, I'd be hard pressed to think of many moments happier than when I was in the back pasture petting my good gray cow, feeding her persimmons. I miss those days. And honestly, there's not too many days that go by that I don't miss that sweet cow. Cows eating persimmons. I love that. (laughs) So 
All of these unrelated experiences, growing up on the farm, studying engineering, working as a coal mine inspector, helping to support Illinois wildlands, have now motivated you to write a children's book based on your experiences. Why is that? I really like the thought of a young reader's book. And here's why. I, I, I struggled as a youngster. If you would have gotten a hold of me when I was 12, I could not have held this conversation with you at all. I was not one with ample social skills at a young age. I wasn't born with it. So as I grew up, I wasn't one with a lot of confidence. And I know there's so many kids that feel that way and that feel lost where they're at. And I especially did. And I know there is definitely a sense of isolation growing up on the farm. And I, I hope it came out in the book some because I can think of times when I would be out driving a tractor and I could see so much more of the field to get finished. And I look over on the Pagoda Road, the hard road right there nearby. You know, I'd see kids I know from school go driving by in the Jeep, goofing off all day long, hanging out with each other. And I didn't have hardly anybody that I felt comfortable doing that with. And honestly, there were times when I kind of felt like a mule. I don't want that to come across as disparaging because it's not meant to be. It was probably the best thing for me because I wasn't where the rest of the kids were. I didn't have those social skills. I didn't have the wherewithal to be out playing like that. But by God, I learned how to work. Now, Will, before we wrap this up, let me ask you another question. Could you tell me just a little bit more about what it means to be a coal mine inspector and why the job matters? Yeah, really the basic part of it is I go out to these sites and I see what kind of reclamation work's being done. I see if they're meeting their permit obligations. I see if they're meeting their environmental obligations and their compliance. If it doesn't get done, you know, if I didn't go out there, there would be no stick basically to keep the coal mines in line as far as getting their reclamation done in a timely order, and also making sure that the water that comes off the mines is not polluted. I see this important job in that aspect, but it's not a type of job that is dramatically important. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a life or death type issue. And a lot of times it can be kind of dull. Okay, I've been out to this site, you know, 30 times and there's nothing new here. But, you know, every now and then something comes up. You might come across water that's not meeting compliance, high in iron, maybe low pH, something like that. If you go back in history, what coal mining looked like or really around the turn of the century through the 40s and even into the 60s is we had a lot of coal miners dying every year just because the job is so dangerous. The government came in with regulations, health safety regulations for miners. Lo and behold, not nearly as miners are dying on the job. It took until what we call SMACRA, the act that came in in 1981, that we were really worried about the environmental stuff, which made sense because earlier the concern was killing miners. When SMACRA came in, the states had a framework of regulations to use to regulate the coal mines. And that's really kind of where this started. So really the example, if there isn't government regulation in mining, is you go back in time and you could see what kind of a mess it was, turn of the century through to probably, 
I would really say this 1970s. That's evident in areas today where you go out there and there was a surface mine. And instead of keeping the topsoil, they basically just came in with a big shovel and inverted the ground just to get the coal out. And it's a very lasting impact. So in that aspect, I see my job as important. I also see it as a challenge because every day I'm out there, I'm meeting people, talking with people. And I'm also oftentimes there to confront issues. And there's a way to confront issues and converse with people that is non-aggressive, where you make it clear that, hey, this is in our, all of our own best interests. And there's a way to come across as, you know, Barney Five. <laughs> and it's important to me that it is in our best interest that the ground is reclaimed that we have environmental compliance at these sites. And at the end of the day, it's not my goal to say whether they should mine coal or not. It's just that the regulations we have are followed. Any last minute thoughts for us before we call it a day? I'm thankful that I had these experiences, that I was able to write the book and also that I had the training to do it. You know, that I knew how to write. I had teachers in school and and I had to support a family and friends. Also, it does contain Sarah Maranovich, but Sarah Gillespie, uh, her maiden name, her, some of her illustrations. And I have a lot to be thankful for in that aspect. I always want to give thanks where it's due. And I, and I've had a lot of support with this book and I couldn't have done it without that support. Will Gillespie, cattle rancher, farmer, coal mine inspector, engineer, and the author of Cows I Have Known. Folks, it is a terrific book. I've read it through twice now, and the stories in it are equal parts informative and really, really enchanting. Grab a copy and strap in for a great read. Thank you, Will, and thanks to all of you who continue to make the Natural Curiosity Project a labor of love for me. I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.